Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I am really excited about today's session, today's episode. I get to interview the incomparable empathic healer, speaker, best-selling author. His newest book, you probably have heard of him, but his newest book, is all for love, the transformative power of holding space. He's been on uh, Soul Talk before. We had a spectacular interview. Um, he's full of heart, full of authenticity, full of love. I'm excited to share him with you today uh, and excited to hear about his new book. Welcome, Matt Khan. Thanks so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Great to have you, brother. I've been excited to rap with you about your new book, yeah. All for Love. All for Love. I mean, ultimately, what what else is there? <laughs> what else is there? What else is there? So, you know, when you say love, like this word is thrown around, people's your songs written about it. I love you so much. You mean, <laughs> oh my God, I love you. I love you. You know, uh, let's just start with, with, I guess what might seem like a simple question is just, mm-hmm. What is when you say love? What do you mean? <laughs> it's a great question. I mean, what a great question, right? What is love? We could answer this a lot of different ways. You know, some people will look at love as the electricity of arousal. Some people will look at love as the energy of resonance that's created through our similarities and our connections. When we bond over past experiences, we feel connections with people. If we spend enough time with people, we develop bonds and connections of love. But I really believe if we look at love and in the context of how I wrote the book, I think the smartest way to define love is love is the act of living in service. So self-love is the act of living in service to your highest potential and fulfilling your needs. And love in partnership is living in service to the needs of the people that we care for. And love in reference to our world as an awakening reality and planet is living in service for humanity and mankind. So in my life, you know, mindfulness isn't something that I practice. Mindfulness is my life. And from that space, love is an act of service. And I think about that when I'm caring for myself, when I'm caring for my family, my loved ones, and for the world at large and the people that I serve. So I think of love as an act of service. Got it. What about someone who might feel like they don't, they're not feeling love? Right. They don't feel that sense of love. And, and you know, there's folks, there's, there's also folks that I meet who seem to spend their whole lives giving to people. Yes. But also still don't feel that sense of like love or loved or connected. So they seem to be serving. Sure. But what about, what about that dynamic? I think that's a really great point. And I think that what happens is that when we're serving other people's needs ahead of, or instead of our own, 
you know, then we have then we have more of a search for validation or trying to impress someone. And I think getting back to the first thing you said is, you know, some people don't feel love. And what I think is interesting about the spiritual exploration of love is that love as an act of service or love as the recognition of unity in all beings isn't necessarily limited to a feeling. We may as human beings call the greatest sense of arousal, the deepest connection. We may call that love or when our egos are having its needs met or when we find ourselves elated by a connection, we can call that love. But I believe love is the journey we take with one another, not the feelings we feel from each other. And so I think that what's interesting is I look at a world where people don't feel love and I think, wow, what a great invitation to deepen and broaden the meaning. Because if, if love is a feeling, then when you're not feeling the feeling, you're either trying to manage the person you want the feeling from or trying to manage the situation you want to feel that way from. And I think from a deeper place, love is not necessarily a feeling Love is a recognition of interconnection. And when we notice the interconnection of our light being one with the light of all, we naturally start living in a service to other people that is neither overgiving, depleting of ourselves, or putting people before us. Yeah. How does one recognize that interconnection? Because we hear that, you know, like we're all one. Like we're all one. Mm -hmm. Like I am you, you are me, we're all one. And... I think for a lot of people, it, at least it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't, they don't have that embodied experience. Right. And so what, 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 what can they do? What's a step to, to start accessing, not just like as an intellectual concept of something like you read in a book, like we're all one, okay, yeah, of course. got it. But then how I behave in my life sure as hell isn't that. Right. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not in touch with that experience of feeling the oneness with you. Absolutely. Like, like how, how do we crack open to that oneness? Well, I think what we do is we notice what happens when the realization of oneness dawns. We recognize what human beings naturally do once they've realized oneness. And then we say, if this is how we act when we're realized, and we're awakened to oneness, maybe that could be the practice towards awakening to oneness. So for example, if someone doesn't understand interconnection, right? In, in, in a connection, interconnection. Interconnection, right. Interconnection. Yeah, like if they, if they don't understand unity consciousness or interconnection, I would say that the practice or the application to kind of get more in touch with it is asking ourselves the question, am I treating other people exactly the way I want to be treated. Because one of the prime divisions is I expect so much from the world and I don't show up equally. That's one of the prime divisions. So we can heal that fracture and that division by asking ourselves, am I treating other people the way I want to be treated? And then of course the ego comes up and says, well, no, because they're acting this way. And when the mindful invitation is what if, and we frame it as a question to make it less intimidating, what if I dared to treat even just one person the way I deeply want to be treated? Then it becomes, what if I wrote down all the phrases I want people to say to me and I start saying those to other people, oh. right? And then we start acting from a space of unity consciousness where everything that is meaningful to me 
is now the gift of meaningfulness I share with other people. And over time, we start to see other people exist in our reality to practice giving to other people what we want. And the more openly we give to other people, the more we're receiving what we're giving. And then we start to see the unity in that. So we're not waiting for it or trying to even get it from someone else anymore from that place. No, because again, love is about living in service. And I think that a lot of people in the world do things for other people, but it comes with an agenda. I'm doing this for this person to keep them happy, to keep them from being upset with me. Or if I just do what the person in my family asks me to do, I can avoid this discussion, this manipulation. And so a lot of times when we're in an unconscious reality, there's two things people usually do. It's either the agenda is what can I get away from as an avoidance or what can I get away with? And neither one of those is an act of service. And so when we come into consciousness, you know, the ego, which is just the part of us when it's, you know, in its most inflated sense is just trying to get its needs met in the most self-destructive unconscious manner. We start to realize that we can actually have our needs met in consciousness It's not going to lead to the instant gratification the ego is fed by. But when we start to say, what do I really want from other people? And can I even for just one moment, like even if we take a situation where someone's watching or listening to this and there's a grudge or there's a conflict in their life with, with a certain family member or partner, they ask themselves the question, what do I want this person to say to me in the Mm. best case scenario? What do I want to hear from them? Can I be the one that says that to them and just to see what happens? And so these little, I call them social experiments where people would call them spiritual practices. It's really about transitioning into life as a form of service, which doesn't exclude us, but it frees us from this. What am I trying to get from others? And what am I trying to prevent others from taking from me? Yeah. That's a completely different paradigm and focus. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the feeling part. Yeah. You said love is not a feeling. And yeah. we, we, we're so uh, conditioned to be like, it's a feeling and it comes and it goes. And I'm in love and I fall in, I fall in love and then I'm out of love. It's like, yeah. I was in love with the person a second ago. Now I hate them. Like, what happened? <laughs> right. and, and so, like, if someone is in a moment where they, where they, where they, they say, okay, Matt, I, I don't, I'm not feeling the love. Are you right. telling me to act it? To say, I love you, Matt, when I don't freaking feel it. You know, I, I, it's not authentic for me, right? Like, h- how do you navigate that? And, and for awesome. the person who isn't <laughs> feeling it truly, it. authentically, right? Of course, like, of like, how do they shift that? So it's a good question. Kind of two parts to that. Yeah, issue. no, I love this. I love the whole thing. <laughs> because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and again, we, we all have lived this out. I think the fundamental misunderstanding with words and with the way we interpret love is that most people are confusing love with arousal, to be honest. Oh. That most people feel the closest to unity consciousness through arousal, which is why people chase orgasms just go there. That's why um, shortly after an orgasmic release and and there's that arousal, some partners and people become avoidant 
because it's mm. they, they all of a sudden are feeling this self-contained space of, oh my God, I feel totally one with myself. And it, it's mm. this interesting dynamic of how we confuse arousal with love. I am of the firm belief that love is not a word we can use without including the journey of time. Meaning we don't truly love people we haven't spent time with. And time is the journey we take to evolve together, to grow together. So I can meet someone, you know, as a single man, I could go to the grocery store, which is my, which is my nightclub. And I, could, <laughs> and I could meet a woman and to go call my friends and go, I am madly in love with the woman I just met. What, what right. I'm really saying is I am super aroused. Uh -huh. The person I met, their chemistry and my chemistry mixed together so far on a chemical level, we are rock solid. And then I will take a journey of getting to know them slowly because love only grows in time. And so I think the biggest problem we have on a societal level is we think of love. Now, love is a timeless reality of unity, but we manifest it in physical form through a journey of time. And I think when we emphasize the arousal and we disrespect the beauty of time or don't give it equal respect, that's where we have a very imbalanced understanding, confusing love with arousal. And, and to your other point, if someone's just not feeling the love, because usually yeah. for most human beings, they feel the closest to unity consciousness when they are sexually aroused on some yes. level. So the question is, and for most people, they're the most heart-centered when they're sexually or physically aroused, and then the rest of the time they're totally shut down in their conditioning. And so if they have someone in their life and they go, okay, I want this person to say, I love you to me. And Matt's saying, go say, I love you to them. And let's say from your example, right? Their inner coot blacks and kiboshes that and goes, hell no. I don't know. And, so, and so then the inner Matt Con comes back and goes, okay, no problem. What if you start saying to yourself the words you want this person to say? So, and so to wake up from a divisive play of, I'm trying to either wait with resentment for you to tell me what I withhold for myself, or I'm going to try to overgive to try to subtly manipulate those words out of you. Instead, what if I actually just stop and say to myself what I'm waiting to hear? Hey, I love you. And the first time people say it, they might go, well, that feels foreign because we're not, the subconscious mind is saying, I'm not used to hearing that from myself. It's mm -hmm. a new experience. And so the foreignness of it, people interpret as inauthentic, but the foreign nature of it is the subconscious mind saying, this is something new, which means this is a new frontier. You're building new neural nets in your brain. You're building new pathways. Hey, you're, you've taken the first step to create a new relationship with your with the totality of your being. So we interpret, I don't feel it as it's inauthentic when really what we're getting the information from is I've taken the first step in creating a new relationship with myself, which will then in turn change my relationship with others. Nice. nice. So you talked about time just now. Yeah. Um, and love is developed in time, activate with time. Yeah. Getting to know someone and, uh, is there, what, what, like, what about, you meet soul connection, past life connection? Like, where, where does that come in? Like, you, is it possible to meet someone and you instant recognition of souls and the, and the love is activated? Is, totally. is that not love because there's no time there? 
Like speak to that. I think what that is, is it's an, it's a recognition of a timeless connection. There are some of, there are people who meet who have done this dance before in different lifetimes, at different periods, let's say. And so whether you look at it as past lives or parallel lifetimes, however you want to see quantum reality, but I've had experiences and a lot of people, it's very natural to have experiences where you meet someone and you go, do I know you? I feel like I know you. And there's a connection, right? And in a connection, there's a sense of recognition. There's a sense of unity. But earlier I said, most human beings don't experience unity outside of arousal. So when they recognize the unity of seeing someone they've met before, it triggers an arousal. Now that doesn't mean it's not love. It means it's only going to be love in this timeline, in this dimension through a journey of time. So if I met someone and I had an instant recognition of, oh my God, it was the 1930s. We were married <laughs> and we were on our honeymoon and a big wave came and wiped us out. Now we're back. For me, I would feel that connection. I would feel the excitement and I would say, wow, this could be someone I could take a journey of time with. Mm. But in my consciousness, I'm able to observe how excited my body is and I'm able to honor that, but I'm not, take, I'm not going to jump ahead of the journey of time, which historically as a human being, I always did in my upbringing. I always thought the feeling of similarity or arousal meant we didn't need the time to get to know each other. And now in my maturity, I realize the connection of arousal I feel means this is who I should perhaps open up time to or with. Yeah, speak, speak a bit more about that, Mike. How, how do we know who we should open up time with? Like, like, like you have all these connections, attracted here, attracted to this, but I'm trapped, you know, like, right. how, how, how do you know who you should really zone in with? How do you know who yeah. a partner is to like take that journey? Like, are there any signs? Are there any you know signals? Are there any things we oh, yeah. should be looking for? Like, what should we be looking for? It's an interesting question, and and I can say in my life, just on a personal level, you know, in in my relationships, I've learned so much from each and every partner I've ever had. You know, my yeah. my 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 ex in particular that I'm thinking of, you know, was such an incredible. Uh, teacher and reflection for me. Uh, and we grew so much together, but I'll tell you what I've learned in, in my maturity. Um, I've learned the value of time. And what I've really learned is the way you, so we have all these connections in our lives. And the question you asked is, how do we know which relationships to really lean into? And so what I like to do and what I suggest, and again, it's the most unpopular advice to the ego, but it's the, it's the cleanest advice is every person in our life, we get to know as friends. And if we're just friends and we find ourselves wanting more and more time together, and we've given ourselves as friends time to do different activities. I get to know who they are under different circumstances. They get to see me under different circumstances. How do we work together under different circumstances? Do, do our patterns complement each other or are our patterns colliding? And so I think what happens is some people get so into the arousal, they yes. bypass the necessity of time, they jump into a committed relationship, they go on a vacation, and then mm-hmm. life happens. And then this is the first time they're actually getting to see how they work together in partnership or friendship. And what I find to be true is that when I meet someone that I'm attracted to, 
And this is just how I operate because I can very much feel how my body is being called, you know, in union with the person at the same time. I want to be, I want to see how we are as friends and in connection and in communication. I want to see how we process information back and forth. I want to see, I want to see the dance that we do because you put two people's energy fields together and they're going to do a dance. Yeah. Even yeah. if. And, and some, and sometimes when you initially meet someone, you know, some people are sort of, I don't say acting, but oh, playing yeah. dancing and the authentic dance doesn't always reveal itself until with a little time. First date, first date <laughs> is, is first date is a show. And yeah. try not, oh, we're going to be real. Okay. But I think that it just takes time to see who we actually all are. It's innocent yes. and endearing that we want to put our best foot forward. We want to be our most preferable, idealized self. But that's not who we are in everyday life. And so I want to see, when I'm in connection with someone, just using me as an example, I want to see who we are together. And what I also want to see and this is actually another little thing that I don't think it's talked about enough is I want to feel how the connection and arousal feels, meaning am I feeling that kind of deep connection under certain circumstances is the energy I feel for them kind of steady. Does it go up and down? Is our connection seasonal? Mm-hmm. Are we, are we better off just being friends who happen to be attracted to each other, but kind of just, so I, I like to kind of just take time and let time show me where yes. this fits into my life, to be honest. And for me, I like things in certain categories personally. I know these days a lot of people like to keep it very loosey-goosey, very in the gray and whatever. But for me, I like it actually very definitive because I find it to be the cleanest energetic way to relate and connect. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, uh, so let's say someone is, is they're taking a dance together in time and, and you know, and I don't know how much you're willing to share from your experience yeah. here, but also like, I guess the overall question is how do you know that it's time to break up? So to speak, time to transition the relationship. Right. Like, and again, you can share whatever you, you, you feel comfortable with. How did you know like, like it seemed like you were really in love with your partner and oh, yeah. the, the, love, the love is profound mm-hmm. and you could feel that as you share about it. So like, why transition? If the, mm-hmm. the, you know, like, like you love each other, the love is there, the love is still there. Like what's wrong, man? Like why, why shift the relationship? And like, how do you know when to yeah. shift the relationship? If it's not working, how do you know? If it is, if the love is still there, how do you know? Right. So, so give, give some guidance there. I think that's a great question. I think that when we look at relationships, we get together with people, we take a journey of time uh, is, you know, the question is, is this person I want to spend time with, you know, versus wanting to do certain recreational activities with <laughs> is this person I want to share time with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's one of the reasons I actually love the wedding vows, you know, because we think of wedding vows for better, or for worse and sickness and health, meaning is this someone that I'm going to be equally excited to make soup for when they're not feeling well, as I am taking them out on a date for our anniversary? Right. Like, do I really want to spend time with someone only in the most preferable circumstances? Or is this someone who I can be in the worst circumstances with and say, the best part of this worst situation is being here with you. Mm-hmm. And that takes time to figure out. And then when it's time to break up, 
when we're in relationship, it's our patterns and their patterns doing a dance together. And we have to look at the patterns and saying, despite how my body and chemistry reacts to this person in a sensual way, do their patterns and my patterns complement each other? And when it's time to go our separate ways, it comes to a point where, and some people are in relationships where they, they meet a partner and they go, well, this isn't exactly the person I was looking for, but you know, I've like five things on my list I'm looking for. They match one out of the five, zero out of the five, or they're the opposite of all of them. Screw it. Close enough. I'm lonely. <laughs> Let's do the dance. Right? And then what we have to look at is the way their patterns and your patterns interact, not staying in the relationship, hoping someone becomes their potential, not waiting for a relationship to become a potential because that never happens. Like, Oh, they'll Mm. come around. The question is, as I am right now, as you are right now, and as our patterns do this dance, is this what I want for my life? Does it feel good? Does it excite me? Do I wake up craving it? Even if, I'm having an off day and they're having an off day. And I can say to myself, wow, my partner is all the things, but gosh, dang it. I can't help but just crave more time with them. When it's time to go our separate ways, it's the recognition of, I'm not sure I'm enjoying this anymore. And, and the question is, are we in relationship with the reality of where we are right now? Or is it I'm dealing with and putting up with right now, hoping it somehow gets better in the future. And once we reach in present moment reality, we come into the present, right? We come into this moment and we say, the way it is right now is most likely the way it's going to be forever. Is this what I want, at least even right now? Yeah. This is what I want for my life. Is this what's adding meaning and value to me? Is this something that is benefiting me? Is this something that is helping me to treat myself with more love? Or is this a distraction from the love I can give myself? These are the type of questions we ask ourselves to really fundamentally know the difference between the love and the arousal that we confuse as love. Um. Awful love. Yes. Book. I remember when we, when we, I mean, we're speaking about it from different angles, but I remember when we had the conversation the other day yeah. uh, for, the, for the summit, um, you talked about, I, I, I'd love to, if you're open to dig deep yeah. into it, like, like you talked about the book being birthed while going through some of the most difficult moments, darkest moments yeah. in your life. And I think there was a, a clip that I saw from documentary hmm. where, where correct me if I'm wrong, you, you were questioning whether you wanted to be on the planet. Was, did I hear that correctly? Or, or yeah. something, something like that you were questioning? Was that, was that accurate? So, and, and, yeah. and, and I guess I, if I was remembering correctly from what I heard, I, yeah. I would really love to hear more about that. Cause I thought honestly, that was a tremendously raw statement. Yeah. Especially coming from, spiritual teacher thank you you know and a lot of spiritual teachers kind of acting like they've got all the shit together all the time and for someone to say wasn't sure if i wanted to you know be around and 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 speak to us about that moment like what was going on in your life what were you going through yeah well thank you for asking and and it's such an honor to share this and, and be so open and raw um 
you know, at that time during the George Floyd incident, you know, I was, I was take, I, I, I took myself off the road. COVID was just about to start, you know, it happened and I was exhausted because I had been traveling and traveling and touring for many, many years. My parents had both passed away within a year of each other. And, you know, I had a great relationship with my parents, especially at the end. And I helped them both leave their bodies and it was beautiful. And I was happy my mom and dad were together again because they were having my mom and dad separated was really hard. Yeah. Um, it was, it was easier for my, both my parents to be in heaven together than my mom to be here and my dad up there. So I, we were very happy they could be together again. So when I got off the road, COVID happened, gave me a chance to process the death of my parents. I was also processing the loss of my relationship or the transition from, you know, being engaged. Uh, we, we had like a commitment ceremony uh, with, with friends of ours in Canada, but wasn't legally recognized. And we were going to actually have an actual wedding. And through the process of our relationship, it just, things just kind of were revealed to us that a friendship is probably better than a romantic connection, you know, and I was, I was engaged and I thought I met the woman of my dreams and she's an incredible person. And we have, we're still amazing friends. And, you know, that, that's a blessing to have that kind of connection in your life. Yeah. But yeah. For me, what it triggered was when I was, since I was about 12 years old, I had been fantasizing about my wife, you know, mm -hmm. like boys would be talking about the pretty girl on TV. And I'm thinking like, well, who am I going to marry one day? I mean, just like, <laughs> that's what I've, and I've always fantasized about being a husband and how, how, how much pride I would have in playing the role of being a husband. And when I was engaged, it was the first time I got to play the role of being engaged and she had a dog. And so now I'm this dog dad, and, you know, and, and I'm, taking care of, I have a family, I guess, and I'm taking care of her. And I've, I'd never really been put in that situation to know. I mean, I know how to take care of people and their souls on a global level, but, but this was, this was um, something I'd always look forward to. And it was an environment I thrived in incredibly. And it was the greatest identity I've ever known to be a husband and to be a dog dad to my, you know, adopted dog's son. I don't know what you call that. <laughs> and, you know, and just the pride of, you know, not just connecting with a woman you're madly in love with, but taking care of her. And if she's not feeling well, let me take, let me make dinner and take care of you. And like, for me, the act of service of love um, was one of the most intoxicating experiences of my life. And when it kind of transitioned into a friendship, it was like this, this fantasy I had stemming from when I was 12 that was like a bubble that burst. And, and it, that along with processing the death of my parents and coat, it, it all just kind of rattled me. And it rattled me to my core. And it was like the fantasy that I had for the longest amount of time since I was 12 popped wow. and burst. And it was the complete disillusionment of a deep identity. I, I, I didn't realize how deeply was within me and it brought me to a core level unraveling, which of course we, we both know when you unravel an ego identity, it's making more space for more of your light and consciousness to be embodied. But the process is quite existential. It's quite painful, disillusioning. It's confusing. And so I went through this experience of grief and loss, unlike anything. In fact, the loss of the relationship or the transition of it was a um, hundred times more intense and harder than processing the death of my parents. Because 
when I was younger, I would push away my mom's love because when my mom would act, would, would get angry, which was often, she'd become a monster. And then instead of saying sorry, she'd want to hug me to, as her way of saying sorry. And I, as a kid, I was like, I don't want you to touch me. I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. And so as a 12-year-old, I learned to project what I didn't get from my mom onto young women. And that became my little dance as a young adolescent. And so when that whole pattern just blew up inside of me, my sense of self as a person was like a forest fire. And I taught publicly the entire time I went through this process. And because being of service actually was something that comforted me through the process. But this healing was the first time my confidence had ever been completely rattled. And it wasn't like I couldn't do my work. It was that everything around it was just, I was overthinking everything and just so in my head and just in such a state of disarray. And when I said I wanted to leave the planet, I would never take my life under any circumstances ever. That's never something I would never go there. But what I said to my guides is, you know, if this life is a journey, taking this journey to see how far we can go, you know, like me as Matt Cohn serving the world in my evolutions, like a gauntlet I'm running. It was my conversation to the guides of, I'm not, I'm not sure how, 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 I'm not sure I can go any further. I might be done. And all that I meant by saying that was, I'm not going to take my life. I'm going to keep going, Hmm. but I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I I can keep going. Uh, This might be the edge I can't cross in this lifetime. And if you'd like to send a little ship, little flying saucer and have my extended family come pick me up. Um, this might, this might be it for me. And it was actually one of the first times in my life that I completely accepted defeat. Wow. Cause I was raised in a family of warriors and we are, I was raised in, doesn't matter how much you get beaten down, you will pick yourself up and you will try again. And I always live like that. I, I live like that on a tenacious level. But this was my, this was the absolute defeat of whatever amount of unconscious masculinity was still active in me. And it completely destroyed me so that I could be rebuilt as who I am now. And I'm so thankful that this has happened. Wow. Yeah. So I'm curious, like in that darkest moment, you know, in the death. Yeah. Can you just share a bit about that? It was like a resurrection, the rebuilding mm-hmm. process. Like, it like, was. Share a bit about that, that. That that like, what were the first moments of rebuilding, and 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 and, and how did you start coming back to this new? even more sort of aligned expression of Matt Kahn. Well, you know, it's funny. They say the healer healers need healers. And I found myself sitting in the presence of a healer who could serve me the way I've served so many people for over 15 years. You know, we sometimes, you know, as healers, we don't sometimes always take enough time to heal ourselves or know what needs to be healed. You know, for me, I'll take the time to heal anything if I know it's there. And I sat with a healer who healed me from my core and helped rebuild me 
And that healer's name is Matt Kahn. <clears throat> and I literally sat in my living room, like I do on stage, and I channeled for myself day in and day out. And, wow. I, ran, and I ran frequencies. Wow. What was that like process like? Did you just you would sit and go back and forth or walk us through that? I would sit in my couch, like I'm on stage, because sometimes what I do in my house, um, this is a little behind the scenes, mm. like if I'm going to go do a retreat, and I'm always like, okay, this weekend I'm going to be at this retreat center. I'm going to do this teaching. And I always want to, I, I call it a sound check. Like, what frequency am I running? And I literally will just start channeling. I can just start channeling at the drop of a dime and I start to feel the energy to go, oh, that's what's going to be cool. So I sat in my living room and I just literally start, boom. And I just start, for me, I can just open my mouth and talk without thinking and just go. And I start running energy. Yeah. And I started going and going and going. And then there'd be a pause. And then if something would come up, I would then take on the questioner and ask the question. And then I would go into boom and I would answer it. And I was, I was playing both for yeah. myself. With yourself. Beautiful. And I was doing it. And then I would, uh, another part of it was, you know, from serving people for so many years, I became very inactive. I used to be a personal trainer, a bodybuilder back in the day. And I became very inactive and sedentary. I started to get more active. I started to get in better shape. Uh, another thing was I also realized that I have such a, a, my life is so devoted to the expansion of consciousness that the other side of consciousness is artistic expression. And I realized I didn't have as much as what I needed. And for me, one of my most beloved forms of art is culinary. And so during COVID, when I would typically travel across the States and meet with family and go do a holidays and then COVID, no one's traveling. So I'm spending holidays by myself in this state, channeling for myself, feeling like I'm existentially on fire um, and I'm working out and I celebrated the holidays by myself, like a lot of people did, wow. but I threw myself Matt Con appreciation day parties. <laughs> and I would sell, so I would celebrate the accomplishment of, you know, you have been devastated, but you're working through it. And I'm proud of you. And I would pick themes for my parties and I would do five course tasting menus based on the theme. And I would literally throw myself the most elaborate parties. Like I would throw for all my friends and I would do music and the whole thing just Beautiful. for me. And I literally turned this entire process into uh, the most incredible and extensive period of self-care I've ever known. Mm. Beautiful, man. I'm, feel, I'm feeling the, uh, the energy of that whole experience, you know, yeah. as you're sharing. And the, the I was in service to me. And yeah. Yeah. The, the, the energy of you really turning all so much of that energy that you important pouring towards people but yeah. to, to yourself that's right and that level of healing that's the well, way I'm from that. yeah because you know the thing was is i had all these ideas and dreams of what i wanted to do with in my partnership i well, we're going to go here we're going to do this and she and i cooked together and we had all these things and so i thought why should that area of my life go away yes you know she's she and i are just friends and that's great and i love that and she's a wonderful wonderful close friend of mine um but why should, why should the joy of my life stop, stop mm -hmm. yeah. because she and I aren't, aren't romantically connected. So I, I, I dove so deep into culinary. I dove mm. and, and that's how I, you know, I taught myself how to cook, not during that period over my life. I've taught myself how to cook, but this was a period where I really refined my culinary skills. And I just, 
it's like any skill you have, you have to, they say you put in 10,000 hours or whatever. Yeah. I put, you put in so much time to something, you get comfortable with it. Wow. And especially with cooking, when you get comfortable with cooking, it's no longer arduous. It's no longer hard. And, and you're not afraid to spend time. Like even this weekend, for example, right. Coming up, we're doing this interview. I'm going to have this weekend. I live in Portland. It's going to rain all weekend. Most of the week, and I'm going to spend time just cooking myself small courses all day. Wow. I will literally cook probably five, three to probably four to five courses a day, three, you know, three days in a row. Um, I love to cook and that's how I love myself. <laughs> Healthy food, sexy food, and just the time I take to plate artfully. And then as I'm eating, I'm kind of, I'm critiquing in a very nice way. I've just, I always want to learn like, Ooh, what can I have done? Or Hmm. Why was that? And I just, for me, what I, aside from channeling for myself and being my own healer with the universe, which is um, something that just dropped in when it, when I needed it for me, I think getting back into good shape, I'm 25 pounds lighter and I'm still working out. Cause I, I, I still want to, there's a certain kind of shape I want to get into. And that in the culinary, what I found is that, the ego in its worst state of emotional disillusionment wants to sleep, wants to rest, right. exhausted. Right. And that can be important. But I found for me, when I did that too much, it right. made the sadness a lot worse. And what actually mm. healed me and helped me take this energy of raw emotion and turn it into a transformative experience for myself is when I used the energy of how devastated I was and I applied it to my life and saying, what can I focus on being better at in my life? And it was a bold choice. And I dedicated myself to it and it really brought me out of the depths of my pain. And it really showed me how much that relationship helped me evolve, how it prepared me for the next relationship I'll be in, how it introduced me to the next highest, highest version of myself. And it really helped me put all the pieces together. But instead of just being in the field of the pain and the disillusionment of what yes. I thought would be, I used that energy to say, where are the imbalances of my life? How can I use this to make myself an even better version of myself? How can I become Matt Kahn's head chef? How can I become Matt Kahn's stunt double and go to the gym? <laughs> and how can I take this and not like I'll show them or any of that? Yeah, yeah. I literally <clears throat> use the deepest despair mm. as the greatest invitation for my next level of expansion and mastery. And that's what I wound up doing. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and then it just feels like, you know, you a lot of great art is created yeah. mm -hmm. out of despair, you know, and, right. and out of pain and out of those moments. And so yes. it really feels like you use energy and the feeling of like, your life becoming art, you know, and you are part of that art that was created. Yes. And awesome. part of, part of the art that I created in addition to all that was I wrote the book all for yeah. transform a power of holding space. Now during this time, also the George Floyd incident has happened, you know, this is happening and many cities and countries are on fire and there's protests. And so I started to see how the world is really changing and I don't look at the world right now and define it as such, you know, we're in a big transition. Yeah. I want you, I want you to speak about that. It's, yeah. it's like, as we look at the world, 
for the last few years, what has been going through a lot of transition, yeah. quantum shifts, leaps. I mean, it's 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 an interesting time to be alive. Uh, <laughs> I think, and I think none of us really. Uh, you know, 2020, we had our plans and then boom, it just imploded into a whole nother thing. And yeah. I'm curious from your spiritual lens, yeah. as you look at the planet, you know, I think a lot of people have been feeling the uncertainty, fear, uh, some people feel, feeling defeated when they see what's going on, you right. know, left, right, divisiveness. Um, a lot of people with dreams that they had been crushed, you yeah. know, and, it's, and people are going through, there's a lot happening. And right. so when you see what's happening, um, can you provide some perspective mm-hmm. from a sort of higher perspective as to like, what the fuck is going on? Man? What the, what, what is going on right. on planet earth? Right. Uh, have we just right. lost the plot. Is the world going mad? Is it what, like, right. like what, what, what's your viewpoint? My viewpoint is that we are in a very critical stage of the ascension process. Obviously, this isn't the love and light chapter of the ascension. This is more of the book of Revelation, the musical. You know, this is a this is an interesting time. Um, but what I see happening is that what I see always in the collective is that the collective always follows a very specific pattern, and the very specific pattern we can always look at is three words: absorption foreshadows transcendence. And so what that means is, is that what we will transcend on a collective level, we first must be fully absorbed in. So for example, in order for us to transcend the limitations of systemic racism, we have to be absorbed in bringing to the surface what's been swept into the rug for so long, which we saw a glimpse of, a glimpse of through the George Floyd incident. And we look at things like separation. We look at right now, everyone not everyone, a lot of people are finding a false level of safety and, and, and hiding an opinion. Which side are you on? Are you for this? Are you against this? Oh, you're for that. I'm against that. Oh, we're enemies, not friends. And, and so we're absorbed in divisiveness as a foreshadowing of transcending it. So I think there's a lot of us that are going to feel a lot more comfortable in the transcendent stage of ascension. But right now we're in a critical stage of absorption, which is we must be absorbed and identified with certain conditions of unconsciousness that brings to the collective an awareness. And then that awareness starts to move us into the transcendence of these pitfalls. And it's going to take a little time for this to happen. And it might be, you know, it's been uncomfortable and I totally understand. But fundamentally, this is the process of absorption foreshadows transcendence is how the collective expands, ebbs and flows, which is a different process than how an individual ebbs and flows. And so a lot of us are looking at how we have evolved and then we look at the collective and go, wow, this is a much slower process and or sophisticated. I mean, it's one thing to hold space for your journey and to wonder when things are going to open up. But then when it's on a collective level, it's just a more sophisticated system. So we are, the reason I wrote the book about the transcendent or the transformational power of holding space is because holding space is the awareness of how do I relate to myself and others from the awareness of all that we're truly healing and how do we communicate from that space? Yeah. Well, well, can, can you just clarify like, what do you mean holding space? So holding space means like if I'm connecting with you, right? If we're connecting, I 
am not just here talking to you, brother to brother, man to man. I'm also aware that you're a soul on a journey just like I am. And I'm aware of that you're on a healing journey. And so whatever is going to happen in our interaction, for better or for worse, is going to be indicative of the healing journey we're both on. And so I think what holding space really is, is how do we relate to each other from a holistic perspective that includes the spiritual journey of all we're becoming and healing and not just the limitation of, am I getting what I want? Am I not getting what I want? Do I like this person? Do I not like this person? Should I friend them? Should I ghost them? All these socially acceptable ways that we're basically just decompartmentalizing all of our basic needs and projecting it onto other people. So holding space is really, how can I use my life's journey as the most meaningful healing journey of expansion? And how can I equally hold space for other people as a way of getting to know my highest self within me? And so really the book I wrote is how human beings at this time in history can follow a roadmap and the, the roadmap being all for love, to really learn how to connect with themselves, relate to others, and really start to activate the power of unity consciousness, even when the world seems the most divided. Mm. Powerful. So I have, a, I have a specific question. Yeah. And, and so uh, we're going to bring it like granular for a moment. And, 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 and like, okay, division, all right? Uh, Biden, Trump, left, right, mm-hmm. yeah? this whole conversation, um, vaccination, non-vaccination, oh, like, yeah. like this whole conversation and people, friends breaking up friendship because like you're vaccinated and I'm not vaccinated and you're stupid for getting vaccinated, you're stupid for not getting vaccinated, mm-hmm. I mean, just back and forth. And so like in the real world, every day, we face situations where mm-hmm. we meet the opposing viewpoints and mm-hmm. people are getting really tripped out when someone has an opposing viewpoint. And it's almost like you can't have an opposing viewpoint. Otherwise someone's going to you know, <laughs> unfriend you. And, and, and so right. uh, like in, in many ways, we're not able to hold space for, for duality or the, the opposing viewpoints, it right. seems. And so what advice can you give? Uh, because it seems so charged, you know, what advice can you give for when we are in situations mm-hmm. like a Biden supporter meets Trump supporter and now they're, you know, fighting each other. Like, like what advice can you give? Like, let's say some a son, he goes home for Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, the mother is a Trump supporter and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, like, how do they relate when, when the, the viewpoints seem so opposed and it, they just get into it? You know, mm-hmm. the moment you start the conversation, just get into it. And so um, how, how does one navigate that? It's a great question. And I'll answer it by sharing a story, something that happened to me. True, of course, true story. True. Truth is always funny. Hmm. So I was on a plane, as I am many times, and I always meet people and meeting this person next to me and you know i'm just talking and i'm a very polite talkative person and we're talking and, and i said oh so what, what are you passionate about we're just talking what are you passionate about love, love to know more about you and they turned to me and they said well well i'm only passionate about one thing and i and i thought you know ooh, this is and i said to them i said quite a buildup. wow i can't wait to hear what this is they said i'm only passionate about donald trump 
right? She's she's only passionate about it. Yeah, that's what she said to me. Like, okay. and this was when he was like, you know, I think it was during the time he was running, you know, presidential run kind of a thing. Just yeah. I'm hot yeah. for Donald Trump, right? Now, a lot of people in that situation would probably handle that a lot of different ways. But what yeah. I said was, I'd love to hear about that. And she went off for like five or 10 minutes on all the great things Donald Trump did, has done and in her, in her perspective and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I said, and I said to her, wow, it's really incredible to know what you're passionate about. And just to feel you sharing your passion is quite an exuberant, beautiful gift to behold. Because for uh, me, watching people be passionate doesn't have to involve my experience or opinion of the subject of their passion. Mm -hmm. Th that's irrelevant to me. Like mm -hmm. if someone's a fan of like, so she's, and then, and she's, Oh, thank you so much. And then of course in her mind, couldn't let it lay there. And she goes, so what do you think? <laughs> now it's getting interesting. And I said, and I'm being very clever. And I go, what, what do I think about what? Being so clever. What do you think? What do I think about what? What do you think about Donald Trump? And I said, I don't know. She goes, well, yeah. what do you mean? I said, I've never met him. And, and, she, and she paused. I said, I know the most about Matt Kahn. So if you have any mm. questions about that guy, I can totally <laughs> I can tell you his favorite colors, favorite ice cream yes, flavor. Yes. Anything about Matt Kahn. She goes, well, you see him on TV. And I said, well, you'd have to ask my TV. <laughs> and then she stopped and there was a pause and then we kept talking about other things. Yes. So what I think in what's interesting right now, right? I said absorption foreshadows transcendence. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest things that we will transcend in our egos in this world is a defense mechanism called righteousness. Mm -hmm. And before we transcend righteousness, there is an absorption of righteousness. And right now the level of righteousness on this planet is so catastrophically high where everyone believes that what they think is what the only truth is. And if you believe other than me, then I have to decide to put you from a friend into a not friend category. And people will even do that and call it a boundary. Right. That's right. not what a boundary yes. is. That's a form of rejection and we're free to reject. It's our will and right to do that. But let's not call it a boundary. A boundary is when I say to myself, I've been at my family's functioning for an hour and a half now, I'm starting to feel tired and I can see that I'm kind of chipping away at my maturity and I'm about to age regress and not say nice <laughs> things. So maybe I should get the hell out of here and take care of myself. Boundaries are for me. Boundaries are for us. They're not against other people. In certain cases, if you're being abused, of course, a boundary. But most people walk around nowadays righteousness is their ego's form of karate and they act like boundaries and opinion is this karate I learned at the YMCA and everyone wants to practice their karate. And it's this inflated show of righteousness or like someone comes up and can say, I just need to tell you something. Do you really? And what they will tell me, which doesn't have to be happen to me that often because I'm just, I serve people. Is, is, is what they need to share. That's their projection. And they say, well, what do you think about that? I don't. I'm just listening. And thank you for sharing that with me. Because I don't have the juice in me to do back to someone what they're doing to me because that's a form of manipulation, yeah. right? I don't allow, and once I don't allow, 
this kind of went off in me like when I was very, very young. There was a realization of if someone's not nice to me, it doesn't mean I have to be not nice to them. That's that's me being manipulated by their by their anger or their hatred. Yes. So I I don't engage in manipulation. If someone wants to correct me, I'm just going to listen politely. If someone wants to share something they're inter- interested in and I'm not particularly interested, I want to hear about their passion because for me, connection is I want to spend time with someone, I want to listen to them, and I want to support them. A true friendship is what they talk about and what side they're on shouldn't matter because that's the power of a friendship. So for me, I could have friends on any side of the scale, right? If that affiliation leads them to criminal behavior or a human rights issue or some sort of abuse against another human being or atrocity, as a human being, I have to step in and do what's right to be a part of this collective, you know, community we're in. But people act like I can't be friends with someone who thinks differently because then it makes me feel like I'm on their side. Mm -hmm. And it's just this righteous defense mechanism and really the righteousness that keeps us divided in difference is also the same space where racism comes from. And what really is the seed of racism? The seed of racism is the fear of intimacy. Because when you're intimate, you're in the unknown. And most people can only be in the unknown with people they know the most intimately. So in racism, there's this projection of you're different for me and I'm going to miss, I'm going to marginalize you and I'm going to dominate you. So not to be dominated. And here are these group of people who say, we're so afraid of these people having power and dominating us that we're going to kind of squash them. But underneath it all, it's actually division and righteousness is the fear of intimacy because in intimacy, there's an equal exchange and an equal exchange. Everyone gets to be seen and heard. And so in this world where we are healing the core of racism, where we are seeing the inflation of righteousness, it's literally leading us into a transcendence where we can start a deeper conversation, which is what is healthy relationship, what is healthy intimacy, and what does it mean for people to have their experience and for us to have our own experience and to meet in the middle. That's where we're going. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that back to holding space, I really can feel like that's to really be able to hold space. You know, that, that's really part of what it's about. Uh, right. To hold space I, for right. someone's experience and my experience at the same Both. time. Not necessarily agree, right? But, but I really love what you said to, to, to be. Uh, to enjoy mm-hmm. someone's someone's passion, not not necessarily the topic or, mm-hmm. or what they're speaking about, but the fact that someone is uh, enlivened by what they're talking about and their experience, and I think that that's a beautiful thing to hold space for that. Piece. Right. Well, I think holding space is to be mutually present to our interests and needs and to the needs and interests of others. Like I remember I was talking to someone else on a plane, another plane story, and I was talking to this person and what they were really interested in, and they collected. Uh, stamps and rare coins. And they said, oh, are you into that too? You seem interested. And I said, let me be honest with you. (laughs) I don't give a flying you know what 
about stamps and coins on any level, honestly. But hearing you so passionate about it and learning about the different nuances and, oh, this one's the Willy Wonka golden ticket of stamps. And I said, just hearing your passion is, 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 is enlivening me with an interest in something that I never gave much attention to. I said, so I really appreciate that you're shining a light of mindfulness on something that I have commonly overlooked. And I said, so this has really enriched my life, even if I will exit this conversation and not go buy myself stamps and coins. <laughs> so, you know, and for me as someone in this planet, you know, just as a person, I mean, I could talk about my role as a spiritual teacher, but just as a person on this planet, the things I know the least about, I become the most interested in. And I think most yeah. people's unconsciousness is they're the most interested in the things they know the most about. Mm -hmm. And so then they have these kind of weird distortions where they go, I only want to be around people that talk about the things I want to talk about or pe spiritual people talk about, oh, we want to be around like-minded people. But the yes. reason why divinity dresses up as unconscious people is because divinity says, if I put you around more spiritual people, you're going to have a bigger spiritual ego. And then you're going to all be in this mutual space of righteousness. And what happens when you get around like-minded people and you all have the same kind of righteousness, you start turning on each other, Lord of the flies. So what's interesting is it's kind of purposeful that we're not always surrounded by people of like mind because life or divinity is saying, learn to connect with people without hiding behind the subject matter. Yes. Like when I relate to people, Yes. I don't talk about spirituality because the spirituality I teach is what I embody and who I am. And yes. like I was on a plane, I give another plane story. Someone mm. says, Oh, you're a spiritual teacher. By, by the way, I, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think your next book might be plane stories, bro. Plane stories. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or plane stories. But, and, and they said, Oh, what do you teach? And I said, I teach what I am. Yeah. I teach love. Yeah. And, you know, for, for me, I, I don't want to be around people having the same conversation. conversations. Yeah. I don't want to have a conversation with someone who, who is going to agree with me, nor do I need someone to disagree with me because the conversations I have, and here's what's interesting, Coot, I have conversations with people and my interest is getting to know them. If mm -hmm. they want to get to know me, they can ask questions. My personal rule of interaction is I do not share any information about me unless someone asks me a question because the question tells me they're interested in my job. If I'm interested is just to be interested in them. And then if they're interested in me, they ask a question and then they have room for it. And so, but I, I, I like learning. I like different things. Like if I'm with someone. And that's where the growth is. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. The expansion culturally, like I meet people from different cultures and I'm so into food and I love cultures. I meet people from different countries from, you know, from West Africa to, uh, you know, Ghana to all these different countries. And I, I study culture by food. And so I start talking food with them. I start talking about Durawat, which is the, you know, the dish of Ethiopia. And I start talking about different things. And we start talking culture because for me, as someone who is incarnated into what looks like a white man's body, my living spiritual practice is to be a course corrective experience for anyone that has been wronged by a white person or a man. And so I love getting to know people. I love culture. I love human beings. And I love just getting to know 
the things I've never experienced. And I happen to find that very exciting. And one of the beautiful tenets of awakened consciousness is when your consciousness awakens, the unknown becomes exciting instead of fearful or intimidating. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I love some of the best food. Mexico City. Oh, Mexico City. Oh. Mexico City. Some oh, yeah. of the best food I've had in Mexico City in Oaxaca. my life. Oaxaca, have you been? Well, I've had moles before, but I've never been to Oaxaca. Oaxaca, Mexico City, put it on your list. I will. Uh, you, 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 you will be in bliss, totally in bliss. I love that. Yeah. Amazing. I, I, I love, like, culturally, just like as an artist, I think of myself as an artist, even a spiritual teacher, I think of myself more of a spiritual artist who happens to write books and talk. But, you know, when I'm cooking and I'm looking at, you know, art, like as in my, my paints and all my different art tools, I'm looking at my spices and I'm looking at different cultural lenses and I'm going to make myself something like, Ooh, mm, should we go to Morocco right now? <laughs> or should we go to Greece? And like, for me, having that awareness and having the ability, or, oh, should I go to India? Should I go to, which part of India? Northern India? And, I, and for me, it, it, it just has enriched me with such a flavor. And I think that for me, I crave so much culture because I grew up in a world where I personally didn't have much culture. And when I researched the culture of, you know, where I've come from, I go, all right. So <laughs> I guess I'll so spend just, time in the ether. And um, but just, I... I just, was that? I was going to say, you have an open invitation to Ghana. Thank anytime. You. Oh. Anytime. We'll take you to Ghana, immerse you in the culture, the food, the tradition. I mean, Is that where you're from? I was born there. Were anyway, you really? My mother's Japanese. I was born in Ghana. My mother's Japanese. And so oh. you just imagine the, 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 the complete opposite cultures. But Ghana is so raw and real, and the spirituality is just in the kindness. Love of the people, yeah, you know, beyond words, beyond words. Um, last question. Yeah. I'm loving the conversation as always with you, brother. Uh, excited for your book, All for Love, folks. Thank you. Uh, check out the book, it's uh, based on when this uh podcast drops. The book will have been out for a few days, so go get the book right now. Don't wait. All for Love. <laughs> I personally have pre ordered my book to support my brother Matt. So get all for love. Uh, you're going to be inspired uh, by the stories. And I hope you write more plain stories. That's for sure. Yeah. But where do you see, um, where do you see the, like, as you look at the world, um, where do you see, like, I guess I want to leave people with that sense of hope and, of and, and possibility. So what excites you about, where you see us going as a humanity, where you see the world going, the trajectory, the energetic kind of trajectory, where you feel things are moving. Yeah. What, what excites you? What, give us a sense of like possibility. What excites me is we look historically and we see that there are certain times in life, certain times in history where we give our power away to things outside of us. You talk about whether you give your power away to a po political party or you give it away to government officials or wh whatever it's going to be in there's some historical sense of something outside of me is going to make it right and then there, there becomes this frustration of the outside isn't doing what i think it should do and then we get fed up but historically when we get fed up we destroy things we break things we burn things because we're frustrated we're fed up and we're angry 
And when I saw the George Floyd thing, and I'm getting to hope, by, by the way, yeah. <laughs> I'm turning this into hope. But when I watched the George Floyd thing, what I felt was, yeah, this is a very, this is a very big energy that people are releasing. But I felt like we're getting to a point in history where we can actually start getting fed up, but instead of destructive expression, I think we're, we're, I really feel like we're turning a corner into constructive expression where we get so fed up with the imbalances, the lack of distribution for basic human needs for all people. And I think we are getting to a point where instead of playing out the same destructive pattern and then cleaning up that mess and giving our power away to people, I think we're getting to a place where we get fed up and we step forward and we come together. And I really felt with the George Floyd thing, that may not be the last example of that, just to be perfectly honest, but it felt to me like that symbolized to me, we're turning a corner. We're turning a corner to where we're coming to a point in history, I think in the very near future, where more and more people will get fed up, but are ready to put the energy into constructive measures instead of destructive activities. And so I really believe over the next couple of years, we're going to see such an amplification of consciousness where we start to be constructive with our fed upness instead of destructive about it. I really feel that way. And the more often we love ourselves and the more often we hold space for each other, the more we start to really create this global community because it's a community that will solve the issues of the world as we come together as one. Can you assign people, uh, before I ask you where people can connect with you, can you assign people a homework assignment, like one specific homework that based on this conversation uh, you feel would serve people as a practice to be able to like do right now? Absolutely. Great question. Yeah. I think it'd be a two part uh, assignment. First part would be what is the need that I have that I expect other people to fulfill that I can start fulfilling in myself. That's the first thing. What is a need that I have that I expect other people to fulfill that I can start fulfilling in myself? The second one is, is there someone in my life who is in need far deeper than me? And what is one thing I can do to serve them? Simple. Powerful. Yeah. Folks, you heard it. Key uh, service. Really taking that away from yeah from this conversation yes. as well beautiful man love you, love you man. it's a beautiful conversation as always man really uh no these last few conversations have been uh, very touching Likewise. and really appreciate you just being raw real just showing yourself yeah. i know the book is out all for love uh available on amazon folks go get it pre-order it buy the book share with your friends and uh where can people and i know oh by the way the the, the there's access to the documentary, yes, when they pre-order the book. Is that correct? Yeah. So if you go to mattcon.org slash love, that's a page where you can pre-order the book. And it also has this fill-out form where you put in the receipt for the book and you get instant access to the documentary we filmed called All for Love. And it's a full-length feature documentary that we filmed. That was one of the first times we filmed me uh, showing how I do healing work publicly, where it usually happens at my events but this was filmed and then we followed the, you know, we followed the stories of the people of how, how their lives were transformed. And then it was also sharing my personal healing journey. So really it's a documentary that heals. Uh, it was filmed by two incredible filmmakers that I'm blessed to work with, Carrie and Daniel. And 
this film for me is a work of art and people who have already seen it are blown away by it. And so we wanted to give this documentary as an extension of the book for its release. So if you go to mattcon.org slash love, go through the process, the two-step process of pre-ordering the book and putting in your receipt number, you'll get instant access to this documentary. That is, it's literally a feature film documentary filmed like a, a, a movie to the degree that we're actually now looking at perhaps film festivals and, and it's, it's really taking nice. on a life of its own. It's, 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 it's something I'm incredibly proud of. Nice. Beautiful. Mattcon.org forward slash love. Check it out. Get the book. Uh, watch the documentary. I know I will be. Uh, folks, this is an amazing conversation with the amazing Matt Khan, author of All for Love. Send me an email, coopblackson at coopblackson.com. I want to hear your key takeaways from today's episode. Share today's episode with, with all of your friends, and I'll catch you in next week's episode of Soul Talk. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.